Oh boy. Yep. <laughs> I like to start again. And that's the beginning stuff. How do you know? She told me she loves me. Oh boy, it's the Doom to Fail podcast. I am very excited to be here. I am your friend and confidant. I keep, if I say it enough, then you'll start to believe it and I'll start getting phone calls with secret messages. <laughs> and my name is Tim Dobbs and with me all the way through the internet that we love so dearly, it is the Seattle queen of Seattle, 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 Catherine Cogart. Not actually from Seattle originally. <laughs> you could have fooled me. You really could have. Well, okay. I was born on Vashon Island, but then I immediately moved to the other side of the state. I see. Fair enough. And for those yeah. who don't know, Vashon Island is a surrounding island in, uh, in Puget Sound, which is the sound that Seattle is on. Coming which together. is in Washington State, which is in the northwest corner of the United States. Which are all things we're going to learn about in this very special episode. Probably more special than all the other special ones, but they're all so special. We're talking about U.S. cities in our very special series on U.S. cities. And in specificity, special. Seattle! It's finally happening! <laughs> Get on board! Come on! We're all gonna have fun all the time! We're talking about Seattle! <laughs> I've been really excited for this one, Tim. Can you tell? <laughs> I think you might be too. The heart of America's in U.S. cities. Don't you love that drop? I'm sorry, I'm just so excited we're doing Seattle, finally. I know, right? That's a good one. <laughs> All right, K-Doc, you're, you're sort of steering this one. What 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 was that? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing at all. Um, I, I haven't spoken in the past 10 minutes. Tim, Tim has been dead for 30 years. <laughs> oh, man. Considering I've only know, known you for a few years, that I like this undead Tim. <laughs> he's a ghost he's a zombie some kind of frankenstein listen it doesn't matter he <laughs> makes a good podcast well he makes an okay podcast it's getting by we have a very unique approach here how do you want to do this so let's Let's compare this to how it's different from our other cities, right? So before we're like, and this is the geography of the city, and this is how the city was founded and its history, and these are the industries of the city, and this is the neighborhoods of the city, and these are some interesting facts about the city if you go there, right? And it was so boring, I right? I didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you put no work in and I, I Well, can't I think it. it's because I didn't um, get to talk a lot. I like talking. Do you? You could have fooled me. As as I edited those podcasts and it looked like my line of speech was just the whole thing, you could have fooled me. I I could have just sat there and gone, you know, Kathy's probably just quiet. <laughs> no, I'm not. And so this is sort of my chance because Seattle is 
my town, even though I'm not necessarily from Seattle. I've been here for the past nearly four years, and I've come to know and love this beautiful rainy city. And so this is sort of my chance to give my spin on how we can talk about cities. So here's the setup. So all throughout Seattle's history, we have two sides. The people who want to build it up into a really big industry that makes a lot of money, and the people who want to turn it into this cultural progressive utopia, which is a art, sort of like a haven for artists type of thing, right? So you've got your 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 Erno Rubik's fathers and your Erno Rubik's mothers. Exactly, very much so. It's a lot like that whole engineering versus art argument. So what I want to do is I want to tell you four stories from the history of Seattle that really show like how these two sides have been fighting each other and fighting each other and fighting each other. And I want you, Tim, and listener, but mostly Tim, to decide <laughs> which side do you think won? Is it the cultural utopia or is it the industrial utopia? Okay. So, um, Catherine, yes, if you'll allow me, absolutely. Uh, I, I will be refereeing this match as well as announcing it. Oh, good. <clears throat> so... If you'll grant me just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls all around the country, welcome to the fight of the century. The something in Seattle? Oh, duh. The battle in Seattle. In this corner, wearing the gray smoky trunks, we have Economic Utopia. Wearing the green, oh-so-green trunks, we have Cultural Utopia! Ladies and gentlemen, if you are ready, round one! Big Arthur Denny versus Doc the Doctor Mayor! So, this takes place right at the beginning right when we have the first European expedition to the Pacific Northwest. So in the industrial corner, we have my main man, Arthur Denny. I'm not going to call him my main man. I'm not taking sides of this. I am completely neutral. It's up to you to decide. I'm trying to be as neutral as possible. I, th I think I decided his nickname was Big Arthur Denny. Okay, Big yeah. Arthur Denny. <laughs> we have, uh, he uh, decides to break off from the Portland sentiment. Settlement, excuse me and decides to head north with a slew of other conservative people. I mean, because this is like a straight-edge, conservative Christian, make money, settle down, donate it all to the church type of guy. Sorry, I, I don't think Christians necessarily, uh, conservative Christianity necessarily fits in with make money. You know, I think um, more so than the guy in the other corner at this point. Fair enough. I just don't want to, <laughs> you know. <laughs> As we'll find out, we have David Swindon, Doc Maynard. Um, isn't it great that people actually called doctors doc back then? That was like a real Yeah, thing. I feel like only like surly construction workers call their doctors doc anymore. Doc, I tell you. Or Rodney Dangerfield. He also does it. You know, doc, I gotta tell you. No respect. That's... <laughs> exactly. Um, back then it was more than construction workers and Rodney Dangerfield. It was everybody. <laughs> um... So he's really only there because he's a doctor, and you need a doctor if you're going up into the unknown wilderness. Unfortunately, there's a reason that he's the doctor in the unknown wilderness, right? He drinks a lot. Oh, yep, yep, yep. 
like a lot. And uh, he's a Democrat. Uh, what what year are we in? Remind me. 1880. Okay, so these were the different Democrats. This this doesn't reflect the uh, the Democratic Party of today, if I remember correctly. No, it doesn't. Okay, but uh, I mean, he's definitely like a looser character than the uptight Arthur Denny. I think really that's what I'm trying to drive at here. Okay, sure. I'm with you so far. We've got we've got Doc Maynard. He's a a loose, hard drinking doctor type, and Robert Denny who's a conservative uh, type who really made the move out of desperation. Sort of like the Pilgrims. Exactly. Um, So, I mean, you can see how these two guys don't get along, right? Sure. Yeah, definitely. But they need each other is the thing. Right. Exactly. Um, So, they break off into these two settlements. Denny forms the Duwamps, uh, named for the locals around there. Okay. Kind of a good name, I think. And it's actually formed on modern-day Pike Place, which is a very commonly consumer... It's like the tourist spot in Seattle, right? It's where that giant bronze pig is. Yes, because everyone knows about that, sure. Really? Nobody, Everybody doesn't know about that? Here's what you want to tell people about Pike's Place. One, they throw fish. And two, it's where the first Starbucks is. For, is. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And the first Sur La Table. Uh, and then Maynard grandly names his settlement, which is on current day Alki Beach, which is one of the nicest beaches in Seattle, which doesn't say much. Uh, he names it New York Alki, which Alki being the local word meaning someday or by and by. So he's like, huh. someday this place is going to be New York City. Why, it sure is. <laughs> I love I love this this large trend that we see whenever anyone goes anywhere new and settles something is they go, oh, let's just name it the same thing as the place we're from. Let's, it, yeah. let's let's pretend this is exactly where we came from. New York itself is named after York. <laughs> That's true. And Doctor Who, there's new, 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 New York. Did you know Portland was either going to be named Portland after Portland, Maine, or Boston after Boston, Massachusetts, and it got Portland on a, a coin flip? Really? Yep, but either way, it was just going to be after something on the East Coast. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. So we have these two settlements, and they're competing for dominance. Um... And, well, let me just tell you about what happened to each of them modern day to, for you to decide who won out. Uh, so, so today the Tawamps is the famous Pike Place Market, which we already talked about. People throw fish there. If you come to Seattle, you got to go to Pike Place Market. Um, he was also a well-respected, Denny was actually a well-respected pillar of society for 20 years. I mean, he served on the council for all that time, and he even helped to found UW, which is where I go to school. I mean, there's even a hall named after him, and it's, like, been there since UW was founded. I would imagine, yeah. And there's so many things that are named after him here. There's Denny Street, Denny Park, the list goes on. Seems like Um, an important fellow. Yes, exactly. Conversely, Maynard lands, Maynard's land eventually turns into a lumberyard, hmm. which not very New York, if you ask me. So who do you think won, Tim? Well, I mean, so I'm, I want to know who's fighting for which side here, because it kind of sounds like Denny is the sort of conservative type who I would equivocate today with business and industry, like, you know, if I have to put him on a side. Mm-hmm. And then Maynard is, you know, sort of a green hippie or, or something. Uh, sure. So I would, I would put him on the cultural utopia side. Is that is that what you're saying happens? That's what I'm arguing, yeah. Well, I mean, so in that case, Maynard, I, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it being a lumberyard. But uh, clearly I mean, it's, it's not, not what very... his dream was. 
it's not a cultural utopia for sure. A lumberyard is like the opposite of a cultural utopia. No, exactly. It went over to the other side. That's an industrial utopia. Exactly. That's, that's resources traveling and being transported and turned into other things. Mm -hmm. uh, process engineering. Um, in <coughs> excuse me. Interestingly, Denny's uh, area became, well, it's no cultural utopia, but there's culture there. Oh, certainly. But um, he was actually responsible for that land transferring over to Yesler, who is the guy who started the lumberyard so he was like hey let's get this lumberyard rolling um and i think by being a pillar of society he just sort of naturally fell into sounds like he sounds like he forced his will upon uh the settlements in seattle very much so <laughs> all right then you know, like a white man i think i'm ready to call it call it <laughs> like a white man yeah no you're absolutely right ah uh, it's so great because uh, as a white man who tries to recognize injustices, I get to spend my entire life recognizing that people like me are terrible. <laughs> Isn't uh, it fun? Not personality-wise. They're not like me personality-wise. <laughs> Round one. Winner, Arthur Denny, the big man. So first we had that lumber yard, thanks to Doc Maynard. Uh, sure. Next we have the gold rush, obviously. I have a question about Doc Maynard. Um, you said thanks to him. Did he have something to do with the uh, lumber yard being put in place? Um, I say that somewhat ironically in that thanks to him giving up all of his land. <laughs> thanks <laughs> to him losing. We were able losing. to make a lot of money. <laughs> I see. Okay. So, next we have the gold rush, because Seattle is the best way to get up to Alaska, where the gold is. Which we still see. To, I, I can't get over this weird connection between Alaska and Seattle. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like, yeah, there's so many Alaska emigres in Seattle, and like you yeah. just see all these connections between the two. It's very strange. It's, it's like strange. Alaska's uh, continental U.S. arm. No, yeah, it's... 
very much so. Um, but here we are in 1910, and Seattle is 250,000 and growing. And mm-hmm. people are saying, oh, man, the next boom is coming fast. This city is just shooting up like a beanstalk. And uh, Seattle is even starting to annex adjacent cities, which would eventually become Seattle's neighborhoods, like Ballard and uh, what else we got? Ballard. Wallingford. Wallingford, Fremont. West Seattle. Yes, which must have been named something else at the time. There is no, I was, was going to say, I was like, there's no way I know more neighborhoods than you. I was trying to think of neighborhoods that were that are still named what their city was named. I see. So voters passed an amendment saying that we want to expand the city now before our next population boom. I see. So they wanted... We want to try... Sorry, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say they wanted a Lamarckian evolution, not, not Darwinian evolution, wherein you make the change first instead of... Uh, Instead of waiting for the pressure to come and then changing because you have to. Like, yeah, like how urban planning should be instead of how it is. <laughs> um, but so they make the, this vote. They say, hey, let's do this. Let's try and make all these different crazy neighborhoods into one cohesive city. Um, and Virgil Bogue is really at the center of this because he's the urban planning architect who gets to make draw up the plans for it. Okay. Uh, on, on the other side, we have our boy R.H. Thompson, who's a city planning engineer who is dead against this. And you really see the fight taking place in the newspaper. Voters hear about the expansions to infrastructure, green space, and transit, and a gorgeous, gigantic city center, right? Cool. Yeah, like right? Yeah. Does this sound familiar to you at all? Hmm. It reminds <laughs> me of... The Civic Center in San Francisco, actually. Daniel Burnham's grand plan. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, well supported by Carl Gould, who worked very closely with Daniel Burnham on that project. Hmm. Fun fact, Gould Hall is actually the architecture hall here at UW. Huh. All about who you know, I guess. Eh, especially in Seattle. <laughs> so again, just like in the San Francisco podcast, this is a movement that's really inspired by the city beautiful movement and the scientific rationalism of the progressive era so the overarching thought is a well-planned city is a happy city if your city is well planned you're reducing racial tensions you're reducing class tensions because everybody gets to be in a beautiful space not just the rich people right it's it's yes we can control this we can do this with with science Mm -hmm. um the the humanity's drive knows no limits (laughs) exactly uh the zeitgeist of the time which helped to contribute to the stockgeist of Seattle. Meanwhile, downtown property owners who have R.H. Thompson in their pocket uh, see this project as being something that's going to completely devalue their land because all of these things are happening away from where downtown currently is. And I they don't see. want that to happen. Well, so that that's interesting. I feel like we would almost call that now, we would just say that's bad city planning to... Uh, force a plan upon the city instead of you know coming with a plan that works with the city well i think it works with the city as in it works with the the way the city moves but it's not doesn't work with the pockets of downtown property owners right so we're, we're cracking a few eggs for this omelet is basically it essentially yeah. i see yeah um and these downtown property owners are of course in the industrial utopia culture But anyway, they are able to get the message out in the newspapers that this plan is way too expensive. 
Um, we're all industry workers. We all work for the gold rush or like for something to do with the gold rush or for the lumber industry or something like that. And we work hard for our money. And wouldn't you rather spend that money on your family than some for fancy city centers for your lazy ass neighbors? Pardon my French. Right. Yeah. But that's, exactly. That was essentially their argument. Well, this is the story. A lot of those lumber towns that sprung up in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, it's the same deal. They mm-hmm. sort of became company towns that are based on rich natural resources that exist there. Exactly. And uh, it was that through that logic that this project was voted down in a landslide, like 10,000 votes landslide. Wow. Yeah. That's probably a, a very high percentage because I doubt the population was that big. Exactly. It was uh, 250,000, but not nearly that many people voted. Oh, of course not. No one votes. Voting is for chumps. <laughs> That's Ugh. not true. Everybody go out and vote. Rock the vote, everybody. Vote or die. Rock the vote. Got any other ones? Um, okay, so... I know what you're thinking on this, Tim. I know where you're leaning. But before you want to call it, I want to give you one little tidbit. Mm-hmm. 60 years after this, the World's Fair was in Seattle, right? Okay. That's how we got the Space Needle. And we had to build this fancy civic center to sort of yes, serve the reception area for the World's Fair, which is now called the Seattle Center. And that's where the Space Needle is. And that civic center is located exactly where Bogue wanted to put it. So he, he was very good at scouting locations, if nothing else. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Yeah, you could say that. But the difference was that they couldn't make a monorail at the time when Bogue was planning this. That's what they needed to get the vote. Right. A monorail. <laughs> oh, man, it's that Simpsons episode all over again. <laughs> So I feel like what you're trying to hint me towards is that Bogue may have lost the battle, but he won the war in the long run. Um, he was proved right in uh, this World's Fair planning. Maybe. That's for you to decide. But I'm not so sure. I think that what's really indicative here is the short-sightedness of it all. Because that's the push and pull, right? Sure. I think economic utopia always looks better than cultural utopia in the short term, at least to the people who have all the money and make the decisions. True. Just saying. So uh, that forms the greater culture and shapes the city as I draw it with my hands in the air. I'm going to make a decision. Round two goes to R.H. Really Hard Dumpsuit. Is it some kind of joke? I hate growing old like our love. Take more time, lose your way, kill this heart, you won't change. Try to move past all this sacred doubt. Learn to trust. Industrial Utopia, Bill the Man 
Saints! And in this corner, fighting for cultural utopia, Kurt the Jet Xer Kobe! So, this takes place in a city where the man looks a lot like the kid who you beat up in high school a lot. It's, uh, mm. uh, this is the first time in history that that was really a thing. It's true. Yeah. At this point, we're now post-war, which Seattle got two great boobs off of World War One and World War Two. Is that so? Because of Boeing. Oh, sure. And even after that, there was another Boeing boom, because that's when commercial flights started to get popular. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's Microsoft and our boy Bill Gates, who looks like he got beat up a lot in high school. So Bill the man and other people who also look like they work in a shoe store are starting to make a whole lot of money. Sure, yeah. Microsoft was huge. Yeah, exactly. Seattle is moving to the top of the move here lists. This is actually starting to be around 1990 when I was born and my parents decided, hey, I should move up from California to Seattle. That place is supposed to be pretty nice to raise a family in. They're big readers. They, they read a lot of lists. <laughs> so while, I mean, more, more and more people are moving to Seattle, we're really starting to see strong class divisions. Homeless rates are going up and with them, youth homeless rates. Youth homeless rates? Mm-hmm. Now, why, why is that? Is that because young people are moving but have no safety net? Or is it because of... Um... I think... Well, most of the stats that I looked up were related to LGBT homeless in Seattle. Huh. So, disowning parents, perhaps? Yeah. That's... A, that's... It just breaks my heart. <sighs> All right. Well. Yeah. I'm... But they came to Seattle, which maybe says something about the cultural utopia side. Okay. So anyway, we have homeless rates going up, especially among youth, and so we have these two sides. In one corner, the industrial corner, we have people like Bill Gates, and in the other corner we have Kurt Cobain, who is Gen X's rebellious martyr. Um, and so we're all pretty much alive for this one, so we really know what happens. <laughs> um, Kurt Cobain becomes one of the most iconic figures in rock, representing this sort of oppressed youth generation a lot of them in seattle are homeless and so they really relate to kurt's grungy message however maybe kurt cobain didn't really fare that well personally i mean he did commit suicide and that was a huge bummer but well he, he was he was extremely besides being depressed he was extremely conflicted about his uh band's success that was exactly the opposite of what he wanted mm -hmm. and one, one of his albums he writes in the liner notes all about like you know if you hate gay people, please don't listen to our music. If you're pro-violence, don't listen to our music. You know, it's, it goes Yeah, on. yeah. Um, and I think that's really interesting. And I think that tags on really, really well with the oppressed sort of mantra that his core fans, the people who originally started following, the people who made him big here in Seattle, sort of related to really well. That, like, the man is keeping me down. Um, type of mentality. And I think that is why he became popular in Seattle, at least. is because he found a huge audience there. No, it's, 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 so it's interesting. It feels like the progression that you're pitching here is Bill Gates. Well, not just Bill Gates, but, uh, you know, whatever it becomes a, there's a tech boom 
and everyone flocks there and then because of that there's also this addition of a large underclass and overclass a, a, a real division develops and then Kurt Cobain just you know happens to come along at that point and his music speaks to those people or maybe he is a product of that division so you're absolutely right there um and Kurt Cobain well huh. he did off himself and that's a huge bummer he also has a huge legacy um, the Rolling Stones says he's the 12th greatest guitarist and the 45th greatest singer. However, his music style has not really lived on. It's just sort of evolved into the next thing. I mean, that was, that was, the 90s was all grunge and then post-grunge and then, you know, I, I guess it did sort of just fade away. Um, as far as his um, legacy goes, people do still visit where his ashes were spread on Lake Washington. Oh, and, that's the really big lake, right? Yeah. Between, um, what, Seattle and, and, uh, help me out. What are those? You think those are just, are those, like, little brother cities? Or little sister those, cities? Yeah, no, those were more cities that were sort of annexed. I see. Into Seattle. And they're definitely more of their own entity than, say, Wallingford or Fremont or Ballard is. Right. Well, they're, they're not they part are. of the same municipality, right? They actually are their own city. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're greater Seattle area. Let's... Start talking about Bill Gates now. Um, so we all know that Bill Gates is one of the world's richest people. Um, and he's also pretty angsty about his success, like Kurt Cobain was. And like Aaron Lowe Rubik was. <laughs> success builds angst. It must be hard to be successful. Uh, yeah. That's why life is and so he's... easy for me. <laughs> but, um, so, I mean, he's definitely an icon of this sort of industrial success here in Washington. And interesting fact, right across the lake from Kurt Cobain's resting place, he has this gorgeous home. It's literally like directly across. Huh. And it's really easy to get there. You just get over uh go over the floating bridge from Kirkland to Seattle. And it's the, actually the longest floating bridge in the world. That's very exciting. It's pretty near to disrepair though. They have to replace it. That's why they started putting tolls on it. There's tolls on that bridge? Yeah. That's a shame. Yeah. Floating bridges are cool. Bridges are cool. Bridges are super cool. Um, That's new series, Bridge Podcast. Okay. Let's not. <laughs> but, okay. So, I mean, we all know who Bill Gates is, and we all know who Kurt Cobain is. Um, more people will probably cry over the death of Kurt Cobain than Bill Gates it's true. Probably say that. However, in Bill Gates's to sort of put a M Night Shyamalan twist on this guy, uh, Bill Gates has donated millions to charity and is going to continue to do so long after his death. So, Bill Gates' death will might have a bigger impact than Kurt Cobain's. Maybe in the positive for Seattle becoming a cultural utopia. So it makes you wonder, has he sort of switched sides midstream here? Bill Gates? Yeah. I think there's a chance of that, yeah. But anyway, that's where I leave it to you to hmm. decide who won. Well, so it's interesting. So Kurt Cobain sort of started out in this cultural utopia zone and then made it huge and hugely successful. And obviously that tore him apart. Uh, but he became a piece of the industry. And then... And then, you know, Bill Gates uh, sort of started in the opposite direction. He he drove the industry and the tech boom in Seattle. And then once Seattle has money, 
he decided to... You know, I guess that's not entirely cultural, though. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation isn't necessarily a cultural uh, foundation, right? It is. I mean, the, there is a big Gates Foundation here at UW that promotes sort of academia and, like, progressive learning and stuff like that and new and innovative styles of learning. That's interesting. Okay, so let me... There are at least three billion, three names, like, three, like, Gates buildings here. One uh, for his dad, one for him, and one for his mom. Wow, you donate for three buildings and you just, like, he starts running out of names to, I don't know, name it after my half-sister, whatever. <laughs> um, hmm, that actually is, I mean, that's really tricky because if we're talking about what gives meaning to the city, I mean, I think you are right about who's going to cry more. Or who who cried more about Kurt Cobain versus uh, Bill Gates, because it has more meaning for those people, even though maybe fundamentally, I mean, if you just look at the the practicality of it, it's like well, Bill Gates clearly contributed more because he's helping people across across the globe, and then also contributed all this stuff to UW, blah 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 blah. You know, I'm gonna give it to well, I think I'm gonna have to announce it. The winner of round three, Cultural Utopia! of industrial utopia versus the infinite endless concept of cultural utopia okay so here's a snapshot of today boeing is no longer headquartered in seattle it's out somewhere i think in the south or something everett um, no north is everett that's where the big uh that's where the big factory is true but that's not where headquarters is anymore Hmm, interesting. There's still, I mean, Boeing is still like the number one employer of engineers in Seattle other than Microsoft, which is just software engineers, so I don't count them. They have an LG Fuels initiative that's going to fail, but you didn't hear it from Aww, me. <laughs> you're so mean. LG Fuels are dumb. But anyway, we have uh, Microsoft, which isn't, I mean, Microsoft is still doing really well, don't get me wrong, but it's not the cash cow it used to be. I mean, there's serious competition in their field now. I don't know how that looks anymore. I know Apple's like the most valuable company in the world, but... I think they compete kind of on the same plane. <laughs> well, it, it doesn't seem like they have, um, as far as, P, well, not PC, I guess you wouldn't call it, but as far as computers, it doesn't seem like they have the same market share. It seems like more things are still powered by Windows. But then, you know, I guess Apple has the iPod business, the music business, mm -hmm. the freaking, God, whatever else they make now. But anyway, I was just going to say that Microsoft isn't the cash cow that it was in the early 90s. That's really my point. Mm. Um, the lumber industry is just openly loathed by most Seattleites. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, because we're all env environmentalists now. 
But the lumber industry is self-sufficient. It grows as many trees as it cuts down. Yeah, but is that really good for the ecosystem? And, like, the, like, it grows as many trees as it cuts down thing is, like, well, what's your definition of growing? I mean, you grow them back, but is there an ecosystem? And I admit that it's definitely hazy, but it seems like there are much worse companies to hate. And also, what are you going to do if you can't make things out of wood? You're going to make them out of plastics. You're going to be petroleum supporters. Well, we can get into this. I'm just telling you what Seattle thinks, okay? <laughs> You're, you're trying to argue with all of Seattle, and I'm just one woman. Also, it's interesting to note that Seattle had one of the biggest Occupy movements this summer per capita. So if you divide how many protesters there were by how many people are in Seattle, we had hmm. one of the higher numbers. Um, That's interesting. The only one that was bigger was Boston and New York. Well, yeah, I mean, New York makes a lot of sense. New York makes a lot of sense. And uh, Boston, well, I guess we can lean on the idea that um, a lot of universities there, a lot of college-age kids. Yeah, exactly. And the really interesting thing, if you're looking at Seattle politics, is that it's really just the environmentalists versus the NIMBY environmentalists. (laughs) And this is completely true. It's funny, but it's completely true. NIMBY being the acronym that stands for Not In My Backyard. So, for example, they want solar panels, but just not in their town. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> they want um, hydropower, but just not in their town. They just don't want it anywhere near them. Yeah, they those want... wind turbines are too loud. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I think the NIMBY environmentalists are the closest we come to, like, hardline industrialists in Seattle these days. Mm. That's that's actually sort of sad. Also <laughs> probably not entirely true. But... Um, but I mean, as far as, like, the major sides of the debate... Right, the people who are engaging in the political debate. Absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. One Seattle native I talked to about this podcast said that, you know, I can't really remember a time before I knew what NIMBY was. Like, (laughs) (laughs) he's just always known. I personally just learned it like a few months ago. I don't know. When did you learn what NIMBY was? Am I just completely out of the loop? Oh, um, I mean, a number of years ago anyway. Yeah. Might have had something to do with that... uh... Don't throw your muck in my bed. I might be making that up. That's like a Girl Scout song or something. So much of the knowledge I have is tied up in my sister. So, I mean. (laughs) Um, So, you should ask your sister when you first heard of NIMBY. At a minimum, I knew it around, you know, beginning of college just because um, Megan was, you know, doing urban study stuff. And that's a big uh, keyword there. Right. Um, So... I mean, this this guy I talked to was like, oh, yeah, I remember talking about it in fourth grade. Wow. <laughs> like He's a native Seattleite. Absolutely. Like, yeah. to his core. Um, King County was also voted the 15th most liberal city by the Daily Caller, which I had never heard of, but they had a list of liberal cities. 15th most liberal county? Oh, 15th most liberal county. My bad. Okay. Yeah. Which is, King County is essentially Seattle. It's Seattle yeah. and Bellevue and Kirkland. <laughs> the Seattle Metro. Greater Seattle. Exactly. Um, I wonder what the most liberal county was. Hmm. Um, I don't remember. Portland was up there. That's just... Right. No, nobody in Portland has a job. At. Portlandia already said everything there is to say about it. I have nothing to add. Uh, that's true. Interestingly, the number one most liberal county is San Francisco County. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Way to go, San Francisco County. 
Also on the list, though, uh, Hampshire County, uh, mm-hmm. home of uh, the five colleges in Western Massachusetts. Basically where I'm from. It's gorgeous. Gorgeous historic farmland. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I guess, Tim, can you judge this one? Do you want to give this one a call? <sighs> it's tricky. Um... So we have a quick recap. Boeing is no longer headquartered in Seattle. Microsoft isn't doing quite as well as it used to be, but still doing really well. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Seattle hates the lumber industry. Sure. Um, we had one of the largest Occupy movements this summer, second only to, or third only to Boston and New York. So Seattle politics is the environmentalists versus the NIMBY environmentalists. Uh, King County was voted the 15th most liberal city in the U.S. And that's all that I'm going to say. Well, it sounds to me, at least from your perspective, as the uh, collector of this information, uh, if nothing else, it's become a city that defines itself based on its culture. In other words... It, it it sees itself as a cultural utopia, or it, it, that's what it strives for. So that's why you have environmentalists versus NIMBY environmentalists. It's, you know, both of these people sit there arguing about how important culture is. Um, I mean, so, and, and people hating the lumber industry, uh, regardless of, I, I actually don't know how important the lumber industry is to the city. But oh, less and less and less. You think less and less? Well, Seattle specifically, less and less. I see. What 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 is the dominant industry then? Uh, Boeing and Microsoft, and Starbucks. Don't forget Starbucks. That's true. Um, huh. So that's so, but they're they're doing less. So I mean, uh, uh, but it's not in an economic downturn. Seattle's doing well for itself, isn't it? Eh, no, it's uh, it's. Hmm. It's in kind of a downturn, but it's not a nosedive. I mean, but. Uh, in line with the rest of the country, or? More or less in line with the rest of the country. I see. Hmm. It sounds like in bad economic times, people cling to a, a cultural identity. That's interesting. I'd never heard that before. Yeah, it's, it's um, uh, you know, the two go... The, so we've got our, our, our industrial drivers, you know, whatever, your lumber industry, or, or maybe less so now, but your Starbucks, your... your Microsoft, etc. Um, and then when those go away, those are so important to the city that you end up clinging to this cultural identity and you, you go back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't it's think, true. because it's an urban center, I don't think it's ever going to be a, uh, a place with smokestacks everywhere or anything like that. Not Certainly not current, at this point, uh, no. Um, I got nothing. They're tied together. Mean, I think it's important to note that I mean, it would be nice if Seattle became this perfect cultural utopia where everyone had all the money they needed and all the artists had all the lofts that they wanted to paint in. Um, But that can't happen without a strong industrial base. (laughs) A million artists with a million lofts. (laughs) (laughs) Someday they'll paint Shakespeare. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant, Tim. (laughs) But, uh... Yeah, it's, you know, they feed each other, right? Yeah, these two sides can't exist without each other. Yeah, I know I'm 
decided to uh, cut it short a little bit because, well, we talked about Seattle for quite a while. And you deserve better. So we just gave you the very best. And um, we hope you liked it. But to find out more, you can go to our blog at doomedtofailpodcast.blogspot.com. And as always, check us out on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, at Doomed Podcast. There we've got some good tweets about the World of Concrete Expo in Las Vegas a few uh, few weeks back. You enjoy <laughs> that. And we want to apologize to our theme song benefactors, Blamos. Uh, I mispronounced their name fairly recently as Blamos. And it's in fact Blamos. It rhymes with jam toes, according to Catherine. <laughs> that was my idea. Oh, you're so smart. So, sorry to them. And uh, we will get it right from now on. Blamos, like uh, multiple blamo. Anywho, we'll be back next week with an episode on unique instruments, and we will be covering Catherine. Uh, instruments from scraps. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, we hope you have a great week, and we will have a great week, and then we'll reconvene next week to talk about it. See you soon. Bye. 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 Put down your phone and I'll tell you what's happening next. Honey, you're passing the test. She sees what she wants to see. Ooh, ooh, ooh.